Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 1. And if you want to use one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you, you can find John 1 on page 860. This morning on the second Sunday of Advent, we continue our Advent series called Love Revealed. If you uh, dug out last year's Christmas cards, if you still had them, uh, you would notice a bunch of themes and images that represent Christmas, at least according to Hallmark or Shutterfly or Snapfish. They include snow and snowmen, snowflakes, Christmas trees, candles, candy canes, holly and mistletoe, and the more religious cards among them will throw in a few angels and the silhouette of a manger scene along with the scripture verse from Luke chapter 2. But the Apostle John here gives us a metaphor not just for the Christmas season, but for the history-changing coming of Christ into the world. And it's an image that's difficult to capture on a Christmas card because it's simply light. John chapter 1. Let's read the first 14 verses. Listen carefully. These are God's words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, shine your light into darkness as we have read from Scripture, as we have prayed, as we have sung, just as ancient Israel awaited that coming for the first time, we await your return, your coming for the last time. Lord, we need light. We need the sun to shine His glory upon us. Give us a glimpse even now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, I was one of the student editors of a publication called The Vignette. It it came out annually. It uh, compiled uh, students' submissions of essays, short stories, and poems. And uh, if you look up the Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of vignette, this is what you find. A brief, evocative description, account, or episode. So on a busy Lord's Supper Sunday with our kids singing a couple of songs, 
what I want to do this morning is to provide a few vignettes on John chapter 1, some brief evocative descriptions of what is going on here to stir in us some reflections on the coming of the Savior. First, light brings life. The coming of Christ is simply associated with the shining of light into darkness. Our call to worship reflected this from the prophet Isaiah when he is describing the coming of the Messiah. We find these words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And in history, 800 years later, when the light does dawn at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, the angels appear to the shepherds out in the fields and The glory of the Lord shone around them. I imagine a a spotlight from heaven illuminating the boonies outside of the city of Bethlehem. Light has come. And then much later when the Magi come looking for the child king, this is what they tell Herod. We saw his star, this sort of personalized celestial laser pointer showing people where the child king could be found. And then we have the words of John's gospel, which I just read. His words intentionally echo the first words of the Bible. John starts his gospel, in the beginning was, and if you turn to Genesis 1-1, you'd find in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This intentional repetition of language that every listener, at least with a um, Israel Israelite worshiping background would immediately remember, immediately find familiar. And there in the creational account at the beginning of the Bible, the first words God speaks are, let there be light. Before light, there was simply darkness, the empty void of nothingness, the absence of life. But when God speaks, let there be light, it's the beginning of life coming. And here, John refers to Jesus as the Word, the ultimate and final voice of God speaking truth, revealing Himself to His creation. And in verse 4, John says, in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Light brings life. Most adults can remember the 2010 ordeal of the 33 Chilean coal miners um, trapped almost a half a mile underground for over two months. I had forgotten those details. 59 days in a little room. Um, It took 17 days just to discover that they were still alive. When the tip of that drill bit broke into the ceiling of their chamber... These men, for the first time since they got trapped, began to realize that there was a chance at surviving. Through a wider shaft, they started getting food and fresh water and medical supplies and warm clothing. They got videos of Chilean soccer games because to a South American male, that's, most, that's almost as important as food and water, you know? Um, they got oxygen, flashlights, things to keep them busy, things to exercise the mind and the body, But it still took 52 more days, 69 days actually, before the drilling allowed a man-sized capsule to be lowered so that each man could be raised to the surface where light 
meant life. Darkness meant death. Those metaphors have obvious physical significance. They also have spiritual meaning. Secondly, uh, darkness equals evil and ignorance. Whenever the Bible says that humanity is in darkness, it usually is referring to evil and or ignorance. Evil first. L- listen to the same Apostle John, uh, but in his first letter, 1 John chapter 1. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to walk in darkness, according to the Apostle John in his first letter? It means to remain in sin. It means to be in denial about the darkness of sin in our hearts, its ongoing influence and presence in us that needs to be admitted, confessed, turned away from, repented and entrusted to Jesus to deal with. To remain in darkness is to let sin run its course, which leads to death. The opposite is the antidote. Walking in the light, trusting in the light means access to the purifying, sin-defeating blood of Jesus, life through light. And notice here that light naturally exposes, it, it reveals imperfections and flaws, it shows sin, which should cause us to run away from a holy and just God. But the, the amazing thing about verse 9 is uh, it, it speaks of God and says He's faithful to His promises and just. Why would we want to bring our sins to a just judge who has to punish sin? Only because He's provided a way out through His Son the cross where Jesus dealt with our shame and guilt, nailed it to the cross, and gives us freedom and forgiveness in return. There's a second meaning of darkness. Um, When you finally figure out that math problem on the chalkboard, we might say the light turned on. (laughs) I just wasn't getting it, but now I do. If you have this um, creative ingenious idea. We might call that a light bulb moment. We talk about a person maturing and becoming enlightened. On the other hand, if you're in the dark about a situation, you're not aware. You're ignorant. You lack the facts and information. Light brings understanding. It corrects ignorance. Light brings understanding ultimately about the source of life himself, who is Christ. Back in John's gospel, Uh, If we turn ahead to John chapter 9, there Jesus and his disciples meet a man who was uh, born blind. And before healing him, Jesus boldly declares to everyone around, I am the light of the world. But what's most interesting is not the miracle. There are lots of miracles recorded in the Gospels for us to read about. And in fact, the healing takes two verses. It's, It's done with. It's over. 
John keeps talking about the situation, though. He takes 27 more verses to describe how this man, um, at other people's questions, is trying to explain what just happened, and he can't quite explain it. All he knows is this is what Jesus did. And, and most of what's described involves his interaction with the Pharisees, the strict religious figures who were um, by then already rising up to oppose Jesus, to, to take him out. He was a threat to their way of life. He um, undermined the authority of their example and their teachings. They demanded evidence, the Pharisees, that um, this guy really was born blind. Was this a scam? And, and what was driving that suspicion, that um, skepticism, was their view that Jesus was a sinner. He was a lawbreaker in their eyes. God certainly does not use men like that to bring about wonderful results like this. Tell the truth. They, they were shaking the guy down. And here's the great irony. I think the root of this chapter, John chapter 9, the point of the Apostle John spending all these verses describing the detailed interaction. Here's the great irony. A nobody, a guy people hardly ever noticed all day, every day, unless they were throwing a few coins his direction because he was begging. This guy who now has physical sight for the first time ever sees more clearly than these religious professionals who Jesus really is, the light of the world. The contrast is John's point in chapter 9, light, specifically the light of the world, Jesus himself heals ignorance. It corrects blindness here physically in all who believe in him spiritually. Light reveals the truth of God. Light reveals the ways of God's salvation, all rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of the Son, our Savior Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think this was part of the, um, um, the reading earlier, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, the Advent reading, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, verse 6, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. If you're walking in the dark, if you have spiritual blindness, if you don't quite understand what ultimate truth with a capital T fully represents, Jesus, the light of the world, not only reveals that to you, but the irony is He reveals that He Himself is what you're looking for. Light brings life. Light addresses the darkness of our hearts in sin and ignorance. In the last uh, vignette, points out uh, something John, the gospel writer, is keen to emphasize, which is who is not the source of light. Look at verses 6 through 8 of John chapter 1. Um, John, the apostle, the author of this gospel, is referring to John the Baptist. Uh, it, it just occurred to me, literally, after all these years of reading John 1, that it, he, he could have been referring to himself, but I think, I think he's talking about John the Baptist. 
and the author John is emphasizing that while John the Baptist played an incredibly important role in preparing the way for the Savior to come, John himself was not the light. That's what John the Gospel writer is emphasizing here. Important, yes. The light himself, no way. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 7. He wasn't the reality itself. He was simply the pointer to the reality, a signpost. And in a more general way, that describes each of us, followers of Jesus Christ. Over the years, I've, I've had this similar repeated kind of conversation with many GRC members who share with me, whether at lunch or in my office or after a service, their angst that some sin in their life, some flaw in their character, some mistake, the failure that they've committed makes them unworthy to receive God's love, makes them unsuitable for gospel ministry, makes them disqualified in their minds to point non-Christians to the beauty of the Savior. And the response that is required by me or by you, if you were to hear this kind of angst expressed in that way, the response requires a, a good dose of tenderness because there's a spiritual wound there. There's, there's hurt, there's pain, especially in this person's understanding of their relationship to God. But at the same time, there's also a dangerous spiritual lie that needs to be rooted out and demolished. How do you be sensitive while going on a search-and-destroy mission? Why do I say that? Because the lie that they're believing in this angst is absolutely and completely anti-gospel. It, it flies in the face of everything God says about why He sent His Son. And that anti-gospel dynamic, here's the tenderness and the, and the carefulness, that shouldn't add to shame and guilt and powerlessness that this person is feeling. It should spur on, if they are already a believer in Jesus Christ, it should spur them on to more deeply realize and trust what's so foundational and critical to any faith in Jesus Christ, which is what John chapter 1 among other things, is emphasizing. And if I were to speak this response to you, if you were expressing your angst to me, I would say this, according to John 1, you are not the light. You're not the light. Part of your angst assumes that you are. You have never been good enough blameless enough, pure enough in any way to draw anyone to yourself, to cause a reaction of awe, to let alone bring spiritual transformation and new life in Christ to a person to whom you feel inadequate in witnessing. If you feel like a bad example of a Christian, you are. You are not the light. God's choice of any of us for any of His purposes, let alone to be His spokesperson, to overflow light to someone else's darkness, that has never made any sense. Why should it begin to now? But in our simple, childlike faith in Christ, He calls us to imperfectly, feebly represent and tell to others, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. 
and I'd be in total darkness without Him. That, that's part of believing and living out the gospel. I'm not the light. As I mature in uh, my faith in Jesus Christ, I don't start glowing. <laughs> I, I don't develop my own little source of light. Uh, if I overflow with light, it's because Jesus continues to push away the darkness in me and fill me with His light. Jesus is the light. There is still a lot that's dark about me. This is what it means to overflow gospel. But slowly, painstakingly, Jesus shining His light into me is making me more like Him. And if you don't recognize much of Him in me, that just makes it that much more obvious how much mercy and grace I continue to receive that God would love someone like me. That's the gospel. You think you're the light? You think you're good enough, pure enough, blameless enough to represent Jesus adequately on your own, to overflow with, to, to someone else who doesn't know Him, all that He is and all that He has done? Absolutely not. But as you and I recognize increasingly, Jesus is the light, not John the Baptist's, not yourself. Jesus is the light. And then He begins to displace the darkness of sin and ignorance in us that we might overflow. There's a story of a disciple asking his mentor, is there anything I can do to make myself enlightened? The answer, as little as you can do to make the sun rise in the morning. Then of what use are the spiritual exercises you prescribe? Answer, to make sure you are not asleep when the sun begins to rise. That's what this month-long preparation season of Advent is all about. It's a spiritual exercise to prepare us so that when the Christ child's day of celebration comes and shines His incomparable light on our dark hearts and into our dark world, we will not be asleep. We will be ready. And in a few weeks, with candles lit one by one from this Advent wreath, with the crushed candle lit, one by one, candles overcoming darkness with light throughout the sanctuary, we will sing, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. In a world that has so many moments and examples of darkness, where will this brightness come from? We need to ask that question constantly and find the answer that God has revealed to us, that brightness will only come from the one who declared himself to be the light of the world, Jesus the Messiah, given the name Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord, you are Emmanuel because you have come. And even that reality of Jesus, the Son, walking this earth for 30-something years pales in comparison with the fulfillment, the consummation, the perfection of Emmanuel when one day after Jesus comes back, all of your people who trust in Him will be with you in the new heavens and the earth, in your presence, enjoying your unfiltered glory until that day, we pray.
Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen.